it's football friday today welcome to across the line today we give you an update on the newly launched philippines football league 2020 season brought to you by qatar airways we are halfway through and it's just two weeks in to the competition it's a condensed format but so much excitement to talk about and we break it all down for you today what a first two weeks uh, I mean, we've got the usual suspects at the top of the table fighting out for the, for the Champions League spots, but we've had some surprises. We've had uh, new teams showing incredible displays against some of the uh, traditional powerhouses in this competition. So, so much to unpack to, uh, today. Um, and like you said, the condensed season, it, it's hard to imagine that we're actually two, only two weeks in, but halfway through, uh, through the competition. So. Lots to talk about, lots to unpack, lots to um, debate. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that the, the back end of this season is going to be as exciting as the first two weeks have been. Now, without further ado, here is this discussion on the PFL 2020 season. If you like it, please do subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. We're on social media as well. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. And that's it. Here is our conversation on the PFL 2020 season. The 2020 Philippines Football League season has kicked off and it is a crazy prospect for all six teams involved. The biggest possible prize on the line in Philippine club football history, Champions League group stage football promised to the champion next year, but it's being contested in the shortest possible time, just five games each per club um, to decide uh, the biggest possible prize. It's a crazy Crazy contest, Chris. We've got the two teams at the top, Kyra and UCFC, already played three games. So they're already um, you know, beyond the halfway point, which is, which is ludicrous. We're only two weeks into the season. But, man, I mean, we've had some exciting games. And um, I don't know about you, but before we even go into the, uh, the, the games and trying to dissect and analyse those matches, it's been, it's been really great to see everyone... Uh, supporting the competition, getting behind the clubs, getting behind the league in general. Um, there's a real good sort of uh, feel-good factor uh, mm. around the competition at the moment. And although it is a sprint to the finish, it's been great to see people coming out in their droves to, to tune in online, watch the games on Facebook. I, I think it's really shown that there is a solidarity within the Philippine football community and that um, despite perhaps some of our reservations before the season uh, kicked off, it's great to see that, at least on the surface, Philippine football is alive and well, and people are willing to get behind the competition, which is, you know, which is definitely something, given all of the circumstances that, that have been thrown the PFL's way and all of the things that have happened this year in, in general. So that, that's been a massive, massive positive for me, um, you know, just, just getting this season up and running and seeing everyone really, really being supportive of the competition. Man, if you were a betting man and we went back five months ago, four months ago, you would expect that you would have made quite a bit of money if you had bet that the season was actually going to get off the ground. Like the odds would have been great for you to make that bet um, because it really looked like it wasn't going to happen. In fact, when we got so close to it, there were still some issues that needed to be handled at the end of the line. There was a weather issue. There was a COVID spread within the bubble as well that, that transpired. And I think out of all everything that transpired in you know, three match days into this league, the first thing that stands out to me is just how competent the Philippine football community can be 
if they come together and support one another in the right way. And the broadcast, for example, much better than what we've seen in the last three years. Um, uh, this time we've got five cameras, replays, the works, you know, and commentators and, and graphics. And it's being done by individuals from inside the Philippine football community now. It's not being outsourced into a third-party broadcaster. And it's being done on an extremely tight budget. So it's cool that everybody's coming together and making a product that is its own. And I think the Philippine football community is, is coming out and, and supporting that 100%. And it's beautiful to see. Sorry, James, correct me if I'm wrong. You, you just said there that the guys are involved with the production, per se. Mm. They're just Philippine football fans. Is that, is that, is that correct? So we had uh, um, a pool of cameramen from the previous years. All of them would have been involved in the PFL community already. So they've been covering football for quite some time. Um, so these are not just completely fresh, taken from outside that, oh, you know how to man a camera? Here, come in. No, these guys have been invested into the game of Philippine football already. And of course, you know, a good friend of ours, uh, Sadelf Tupas, has been in charge of the broadcast and, and uplifting the quality of that. And you got to give a shout out to Commissioner Torre as well, Coco Torre, our good friend as well. I mean, we all grew up in the Philippine football community together, but man, there's been so many challenges thrown his way. Every day, there's a new thing that he needs to deal with. But it's all transpired in a manner in which we still have our matches and we still have a season and it's still something to look forward to and enjoy this year. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that even from the very first game, that the quality of the footage was great. Um, you know, crystal clear clarity on the, on the picture. There was a few issues, I think, with um, some of the connectivity on, in, in certain locations um, with the stream. But I mean, generally speaking, the quality is, is, is much better than anything that we've seen before. I'd even include, even when we were sort of televised, um, you know, on, on PTV, because that quality wasn't great. You know, yeah. this is as good, this is as crisp as it was back in the UFL days, back you know, in, in, in McKinney Hill when it was under um, the TV5 network. I mean, that, I would say that is this, that quality yeah. is really, really good. And I know a lot of people were fe feeding it off of their Facebook onto mm -hmm. their smart TVs, which is how I watch the games. Um, so that's been a massive, massive plus. I've really, I've really enjoyed having, a, you know, an upgraded um, viewing um, to enjoy the match because I think that that was part of the problem when we were streaming it on on different platforms before the actual quality of the game. Yeah, you know, it looked like it was done on a on a you know a subpar device and and just the, the it wasn't a very pleasurable experience. So I mean, we talked about it a lot on the show, making sure that the fan experience is good and obviously with people not being able to get to the stadium, um, it, it means that we have to watch it from the pleasure of our homes. And and if we're going to do that, it should be a good. Um, a good quality of picture um, that, that we're seeing. And yeah. I think that's been a massive, massive upgrade and something I've really, really appreciated. I think it's great that we've got some, some local and familiar faces, familiar voices, should I say, um, behind the camera as well. I think, um, you know, Nate Burke, has been a nice addition to the, um, yeah. to the commentator booth. I think he brings a different dynamic to, um, to the episodes. And I think, you know, one thing I, I would like to see is, is maybe have, those individuals who are perhaps ex-players or people who've um, you know, played with the national team before, played in the league before, I'd love to see them maybe give more of their insights mm. um, and leave the commentary perhaps up to the likes of yourself and uh, some of the other commentators that you've, you've had. I think that, that's the one thing that's maybe missing a little bit. I think we've got some really good commentators. I, I hate to say it, I'll put you in that bracket of, of a, <laughs> a, a, a above average 
um, commentator. I think I those that. guys who we've got in the commentary booth with you, I'd like to see them provide a little bit more depth um, because they're the ones who, who played at that level. They've, they've been on the ground yeah. um, with, with some of these individuals and they could perhaps add a little bit more insight um, to, to the... Um, to the viewers and, and people who are watching it on their on their on their devices, I think that that's the one thing that I've I've I've, I've been wanting. You know, it's, it's something that yeah. I've been really keen to see. But can someone provide that just that added layer? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That added layer of insight, that added little bit of um, nuance uh, that I think the the viewing public would really really appreciate. So I'm, I'm hoping that's something that that can develop in the second half of the season a little bit more. Uh, Nate Berkey, as you mentioned, a great addition to the commentary team. Um, a former ASCO played in a lot of the top clubs, but you know it's it's his second, maybe third commentary game at the moment. And um, as a person who's been doing it a little while, my first five maybe were tough. You know, uh, difficult to listen back to myself uh, during that time. So uh, I think he's done extraordinarily well for his first two three games, and he's only going to get better. And yeah. um, he's got a lot of these things that are stuck in his mind, but it's just a matter of trying to get it out in a clean way during the broadcast so hopefully that'll be something that transpires over the next few games yeah because i think there was there was there was a little bit of un unnecessary criticism of some of the commentary on yeah. some of the early games you know making out that it was it was too somber and then there was people saying it was the, the people are too excitable it's like come on like let, let's, <laughs> let's try to we can't be picking holes in in, yeah. in in these sorts of things exactly what you said I, I remember when i was watching the first set of games in the ufl when i first came over and, and there were a bunch of people who were new to the game. Natasha being one of them, she was yeah. new to the game. And I remember her being super nervous in her first few episodes. And, and look at her now, you yeah. know, a seasoned pro. So, you know, again, we talked about it before. The, the large majority of the people who have been um, engaged and have watched the games have been really, really positive about everything that's been going on. And just the mere fact that it's been off, able to get off the ground is, is, is a success in itself. So let's not try to pick holes in, in these small things. And if people do have, have suggestions, then, then use those platforms, the, 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 the Facebook groups, et cetera, to, to perhaps give a positive comment or a, you know, a constructive criticism or, or something that they would perhaps would enjoy to make the experience even more pleasurable. I think that's, that's really the way we're trying to, trying to um, frame this because I think that's really, really important in this condensed season. It's just to try to maximize this small window that we've got to try to give everyone the best possible product. 135,000 views on opening day, Chris, over mm -hmm. YouTube and Facebook. It goes to show that the Philippine football community is hungry to see the quality football on the pitch. And as uh, individuals on the inside, we know that the games have been quality. They just haven't had, they haven't been presented in the best possible way over the last mm -hmm. three years. So yeah. now we're getting a chance to see that quality on the pitch and by God, there's been some quality that we've seen, you know, the biggest worry was that seven months of no football would mean subpar quality on the pitch. And then of course there was the whole no contact in training in the lead up to it, uh, shortened preseason condensed uh, competition, perhaps the quality will suffer, but man, some of the games that we've seen, uh, some of the football that we've seen has been tremendous. I mean, just last night we got, a historic result from United City. They they smashed Maharlika 10-0. And good God, Chris, some of the football, like 30 sequences of 30 passes before you 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 bang it home or pass it into the back of the net. Um, breathtaking stuff from United City. And there was a big question mark surrounding whether they would continue 
and the same guys that they were as Ceres Negros, scarily enough, it looks like they've improved. I think it was in the BNV Marignan podcast that we did, and I said that the signs were fairly ominous, you know, where we've got people like BNV who are really, really focused and determined on looking after themselves during the lockdown period. And I know he wasn't the only one. And the results have suggested that. I mean, even the first game, to be honest with you, that was a, that was a little more of a uh, fractious performance. But you have to give credit to ADT. I thought they were excellent in that, in that opening game. If it wasn't for um, a wonderful Mike Ott strike, mm. you know, that easily could have, could have been a 0-0 draw, which would have given hope to all the other mm-hmm. teams. But I think they've, they've brushed aside that, the, you know, uh, Mendiola and um, Mahalika who are currently propping up the, the league table. Um, I mean, they've dispatched them with venom. You know, it, it, it's not even been a contest. You know, neither team really laid a glove on them. Like you said, it was, I haven't seen the possession stats, but, you know, it was just total dominance. And you, know, you only got to look at the scorers who were on the score sheet last night. Um, you know, it's the same old faces. It's the same old faces. There's a top scorers list. And it's just their players. It's just it's their just, guys. It's just their it's just guys. Their guys. And, and unfortunately, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the people that we've highlighted before, isn't it, with UCSC? It's, it's your Mendes, it's your OJs, uh, your Shrocks, your Marignons. You know, these guys are unbelievable in front of goal. And yeah. you've just got to take what we said in the, in the, in the podcast with, with Bienve. We were saying that these guys, I know they've been working hard. I know they've been working hard in the offseason. You've just got to look at their social media and you see that yeah. they have been grafting. And that's why I thought, they wouldn't skip a beat when they came into this uh, condensed season. And obviously the ADT game was what, and I thought, oh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are yeah. two cobwebs, but the last two games have, have just, you know, put to pain that, that reservation. So um, granted, they've got two tough games remaining. Obviously Stallions after their, you know, early falter against Mahalika picked up a good result against Kyle last, uh, last night. So that leaves them with, with two very tough games against opponents who traditionally they've struggled with. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Let's see if they can, they can stop the juggernaut that is UCFC. But, um, you know, while they've got the firepower, the only real concern for me is obviously they haven't really been tested at the back. That's right. Um, and it's quite inexperienced. You know, I look at the lineup that they had at the back um, yesterday. It's Sean Kane. Uh, Takashi Odawara and, and Joshua Tosmi, which is not a bad back line at all if you're looking at them as a back three. But, you know, how are they going to stand up against someone like Kinshiro Daniels, for example, who's been on fire mm. um, in, in his opening campaign? You know, how are they going to fare against uh, Janjan Maliza? You know, yeah. completely different type of, of, of uh, forward compared to what they've been faced with in their opening three games. So that's really the only question mark that I've got right now is how is that back line, maybe if Dennis Villanueva comes back into the mix, how are they going to be able to withstand, you know, certainly an upgrade on on the the, the calibre of striker they've been up against um, in the first two games. But, you know, as I said from the the review show that we did way back when, you know, I, I just feel that they've got so much firepower that even if, they do get carved open at the back. I just feel as though they've got too much firepower up top to be, you know, to, to just overpower any, yeah. any opponent. So they're sitting pretty right now, top of the table. Uh, yeah, and, and for the rest of the league, it, it does look pretty ominous. Yeah.
um, the back line and their depth. Those are the two things that wanted to be tested. And so far, after three matches, that area of their squad has yet to be really given uh, a good test, right? Um, the statistic that is most revealing that I want to know is how much time do they spend in the opposition half? Not so much the possession statistics, but they play inside their opponent's half. That's basically how the games have transpired. It's pretty tremendous to watch, honestly. Their center backs are pushed up past the halfway, halfway line. It's crazy. Um, I think one of the things you've got to, to understand as well with that is teams are obviously going to be scared of, of stepping up to them. You know, if you start to ex expose yourself with spacing behind by trying to go and impress these types of opponents, if you get picked off, yeah. that's a long way back. And you're going to give a lot of space to a, to a Bienvenue Marignan, to a Robert Lopez-Mendy, to an OJ Porteria. You've got great pace, yeah. clever movement. It's only going to take one or two quick combination plays and then bang, you're in behind. Uh, and all of a sudden, if you don't get that right, you're going to get exposed. And you're going yeah. to be in 1v1 with the goalkeeper. I mean, the best example of that was the ADT game against Kaya. You know, I thought for most of the game, they pressed really, really well, super well organized. And it only took for one time for, I think it was Diana to switch off all yeah. over the top from Robert Lopez, Mendy, clever movement from Kinshira Daniels. And, you know, he <laughs> capitalized. So I guess that as a blueprint, a lot of teams are trying to... It's Audi Menzi, by the way, not Robert Lopez, Mendy, who passed the ball. Menzi, <laughs> yeah, Menzi. Um, and I feel as though that's the blueprint, probably ADT... Uh, adoptive for that game and a lot of teams will probably adopt because that minimizing the space keeping everything in front of them asking questions of UCFC can you break us down can you penetrate in behind when we minimize that space behind our back line you know that's that's going to make it very difficult yeah on paper yeah. because you know actually in theory in reality it's very different so you know I, listen I've played against them many times I've adopted many different tactics some very successfully, some horribly wrong. So, you know, it's with this condensed season, it's, it's very, very difficult because you've got one chance to, to figure it out. And if you get it wrong on the day, you're going to get punished. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's really intriguing to see how, how that develops in the next two games. Right now, they're sitting pretty top of the table, nine points, 17, uh, plus 17 goal yeah, plus difference. 17, yeah. Right? Unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's zoom out a little bit. For those who are unfamiliar with the league, it's only six teams, right? So we've got UCFC at the top right now. You've got Kaya, who is a perennial rival and uh, over the last three years, second placer uh, in the league. And you've got Stallion, who did not play in the opening match week because uh, they had a little situation in their squad alongside Mendiola. So they were uh, slated to play three days after. And you have um, so those two were, did not play opening day. Then you have the newcomers. Ascal's development team, which is composed of primarily under 23 players uh, that are being looked at for the national team and a few overage players and like Marvin Angeles in there. And then you have Maharlika Manilica, Maharlika Manila, who were formed two months prior to the competition. Wow, what a storyline they are in this competition. We're going to get a chance to speak about them. But first, perhaps let's, let's work our way down from the table, so that's easy. Kaya FC Iluilo in second place with seven points as of the moment. They, were, uh, they won their first game against uh, Maharlika Manila. It was a tight game, much tighter than what people expected. They didn't bury their chances. 
Uh, so they could have been 4-5-0 up in that game, but some of the chances didn't get converted, so they only were able to score the one goal in that. Um, anything that stand out for you in that match, Chris? Just the performance of, of Jason Panay, great finish for the goal. Um, he's someone who I said, I should say this before on the show, he's someone who I regretted not utilizing more. Uh, fantastic attitude, uh, really lovely man. Um, but for whatever reason, he just couldn't break into my team when I was there. And I had so many awkward conversations with him, like, you know, Chris, what more can I do? And it's like, Eric keeps coming off the bench and scoring. Joven Bedick is on fire. You know, we, he had Robert Lopez-Mendy. We had, um, we had uh, Jordan Minter. You know, he had so many players who was in front of him and he just didn't get the opportunity. But now he's really flourishing. And uh, so I'm really pleased to see him doing so well. Um, I thought it was a game exactly what you said. They had so many chances. And that sort of rustiness was indicative for a lot of teams in that opening game. So, you know, perhaps we can't read too much into it. I think they got a little bit lucky. I think the Charlie Beaton effort was um, where he got cleared off the line. That sort of melee yeah. uh, after a misplaced clearance from Shoma Falonko was the one chance really where they could have capitalised. And had it been 1-1... That would have been a very, very tough game to um, to try to um, grab from the clasp of, of Mahalika because then the next game you obviously saw them go on to, to beat Stallions in, in one of the most thrilling, shocking encounters that I've seen in, in the domestic game for a long time and we'll come on to that. But, I mean, I, I think for them, really, Kyron, that first game was just about getting the three points. You needed yep. to get off the ground. We need, they needed to make sure that three points and nothing else would have done in that first game. So the performance perhaps is something you could put to, the, to one side. Although they dominated possession in the final third, it, it lacked that cutting edge. But where that really came to bite them was obviously in that most recent game against Stallion, the 1-1 game. Because I thought yeah. they played quite well against ADT. Yeah. Um, I think they're a much more difficult outfit than people give them credit for ADT. I think they're extremely well organised, very disciplined. Uh, as you said, a lot of young guys, so they're feisty, energetic, with a point to prove, obviously under the tutelage of the national team coach. So, you know, the spotlight is very much on them each and every, every game. So I think for them to come up with the victory against ADT was, was a massive, massive three points. Um, as I said, Kinshira Danes, I think, is on fire. Uh, I think his movement was terrific for the goal. Ice cool finish as well. That was a very difficult chance, make no mistake about that, to carry the ball from halfway and slot the ball with, the calmness that he did, um, I think that showed real quality. Thierry Henry-esque, mm. that I would describe it. Um, but watching the Stallions game, it was... Listen, when you get yourself into that position where you're 10 minutes from, from picking up a real important three points against traditionally a bogey side for Kaya, and really when you're looking at it, it's the one team who could potentially cause you some problems, you know, and then I disrespect some of the other teams, but you would expect them to beat the other, other, other uh, three teams. And I just felt for that goal that um, Jan Jan Meliza scored, the quality of the defending was poor. It was poor, Jing. I don't think they made enough effort to stop the cross. I think it was quite easy for them to go into the penalty box. And I think the cross was relatively uncontested. You know, I think that was the most disappointing thing. I think two guys have gone out. Ojo Clarino was one, um, and he was he was the nearest, quote unquote, nearest. But he, he really didn't put his body on the line to stop that ball. 
And as that ball comes over, Jan Jamalini has made a late run into the box. Again, run isn't tracked and it's a tap in. And you could see the frustration on, on the Kai defenders. I think Simone Rotter's in the shot yeah. and he is just, you know, hands in the air, extremely disappointed because he knows, he knows the importance of that goal. And, you know, I think if you go into that final game, again, I don't want to be dismissive of the remainder games that, that Kaya's got because Kaya's next game is... Mendiola. Mendiola, which, again, on paper, you would assume would be a fairly routine victory. I'm not trying to be yeah. dismissive. But I think on paper, that's a game that they should be winning. If you go into that final game with parity against UCFC, it gives you that opportunity to, right, okay, this is it we can, on a one-off game, we can beat UCFC. Yeah. But now, you know, a draw is not good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, a draw is not good enough. And because they didn't take their chances with the elevated goal differential as well, they've created this, this big problem. So, um, massively disappointing for, for any Kaya fans, you know, to, to not make it three wins out of three. But you have to give credit to Stallions coming off that defeat against Mahalika in the first game to bounce back um, against the perennial powerhouse like Kai, I think that, that speaks volumes for them because it, it could have been easy for them to throw in the towel after losing their, their first game. So you have to give them props as well for, for digging deep and, and coming out with a draw late in the game. It really felt like a final for them. You know, Ernie Neres was back, Nate Alquiroz was back, Ricky Sandra was there, and the squad, you, they were cheering every tackle, they were shouting for, every, for each other. And you could tell that they were really motivated for that game, you know. So, yeah, definitely a huge, huge result for Stallion because they're desperate to get at least that third spot or they're pushing for that second. They want to go to the AFC Cup. That's what Coach Ernie really, really wants. Um, so to get that result was massive for them. But it doesn't really change much for Kaya. As you mentioned, the goal difference of UCFC has been supremely elevated. So even if they had gotten the three points there, they would still most likely have to beat UCFC if they were going to game claim the championship. So that doesn't change that factor, right? You have to beat the champions or the, the champions, the, the repackaged champions, if you want to win the title. So same mission for Kaya FC Ilo, but now they have to pick themselves up from a disappointing result. And that's going to be the big question mark for them is how do they bounce back from that? Are they going to let the disappointment sort of dampen their next performance or are they going to use it as a motivational factor? That's going to be the big question mark as they head into this match against Mendiola. And they get three points there. It sets up final day in a very, very exciting manner. Uh, but you've spoken about it a couple times already, and that was Maharlika Manila, one of the new teams in the competition. Historic result against Stallion Laguna. They picked them off, come from behind victory. We already talked about them losing to Kaya in their opening match. So they must have taken a little bit of confidence from that, right? You're new in the league, and you only lose 1-0 against a, a, a regular and a heavyweight at that in, in this competition. So they went into that match against Stallion Laguna, but the first half was cruise control for Stallion. Even without their key players, they scored early and they just kind of kept possession. Maharlika didn't offer much. The second half, however, was a completely different ball game. Roxy Dorlas changed tactics a little bit, injected a bit of energy from the bench, and they turned it around, Chris, in, in incredible fashion, and they won that one to one. absolute eyebrow raiser that game you know obviously that was a game that on paper should have been a routine victory for Stallion and like you said at 1-0 at half time it looked like it was a cruise control was a great way to describe it I just thought that that, that might end up being a a 2-0 victory I think it was the early kickoff as well wasn't it so um, two games 
in a short period of time for Mahalika. Uh, they've had a short window to prepare. Um, Stallions players were fresh. Um, I ended up tuning in quite late in the second half um, and thinking it was, yeah, I mean, it was, it was just going to be a routine victory. And lo and behold, you know, out of nowhere, um, a historic 2-1 victory. I mean, I have to give props to Yannick Twasson for his, for his goal. I think, again, we've seen some fabulous goals um, in the opening rounds of, of, of this competition. And, and that was right up there. Maybe not the most spectacular, but I think given the circumstance, I think it was a really, really good finish. So, um, you know, fair play to him for, for under pressure finishing off that goal. In this, in, this is in the Stallion game? Stallion game, yeah. Yannick Twasson. Sorry, sorry. Um, who scored the second? Who scored the winner? Um, Thor, Jeremy. Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy. Sorry, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, tremendous, tremendous finish. So fair, fair play to him. So Yannick scored in the, uh, in the subsequent um, game. But yeah, a fair play for, for that finish because, again, that, it, I think it must be really hard for, for Mahalika given the short preparation. They've given a pretty rough um, first set of games. Mm. So, um, you know, for them to, to come out with, with, with that victory, I think, yeah, monumental. And I, I think you saw the video at the end with, um, with Anton Del Rosario. I mean, it, it's, been, it's been plastered all over social media. His reaction was, uh, was one of pure joy and elation. So, you know, yeah. incredible props to, to him and the organisation for, for managing to, uh, to, to get their historic first win. Massive, massive, massive props to them. There's so many great stories as well. The first assist was from a kid named MJ Libre, 19 years of age from Tondo. You know, like, he, just like being on the stage seemed like a huge step up for him, but he was one of the standouts for them in that competition. And then, obviously, Jeremy Thoyer with the, with the conversion of um, Charlie Beaton's pass, uh, his assist. And funnily enough, I rewatched the highlights, and my friend pointed this out to me, that I had called that Jeremy Thoyer was going to be a man that could run in behind Koichi. And I've just seen a little bit of positioning from Koichi where he's a little bit too inside and wasn't looking over his left shoulder. And lo and behold, Jeremy Thoyer right on cue pounces in behind. It was a, a beautiful thing to see. Great ball from Charlie, wasn't it? It, was a, it yeah. was a great ball from Charlie. And I think once, like you said, once he got away from him, Jeremy was never going to be caught. I mean, he's got great pace. You know, I yeah. think he's someone, we had him with our Kai B team for a while and he's been sort of floating around the league before he's played for various clubs. But I think he's someone who, um, I think if he gets his head straight, he, he could be someone who could score goals at this level. So yeah, brilliant, brilliant goal. Great historic win for the, for the club. And, and, and hopefully, I mean, it wasn't the springboard or the platform for them to come into their next game, which again was, was, was tough with regards to the fixtures. But I've written down here that, as ridiculous as this may sound, they are in with a shout of finishing in third place. And if they do finish in third place, that could feasibly equate to a spot in the, in, in the AFC Cup, which, you know, again, we, we, we never envisaged us mentioning this um, in, in our you know, pre-competition um, predictions, but that is a possibility. You know, it is definitely a possibility. They've got two games remaining. ADT and Mendiola. Both games they can get a result from. ADT is going to be a tough one. Like, as you mentioned, ADT is a very, very good team. Um, but Maharlika are tough and they've got players that can exploit space and cause problems. So you never know. Uh, Mendiola, you, right now, they are at the bottom of the ladder. 
right? They've been smashed by UCFC and they've lost to the newcomers in ADT. So um, they are currently on paper, if you look at it, the underdogs, which is a bit of a surprise for me. I thought one year in the competition will have uh, acclimated them to the necessary level that you have to perform at. But it seems they've relaxed a little bit in the preseason and weren't anticipating that Maharlika were going to be such a challenge. And now they've found themselves in the worrying position of having to finish underneath newcomers into the league, which is something that if you're an owner, for example, of Mendiola, and you invested in this team, simply unacceptable. Simply unacceptable to see your team below Maharlika and ADT. That's going to cause a lot of uproar within that side. There's got a lot of pride in that Mendiola side. So um, I, I would imagine that there's going to be a huge change and shift for them if they finish bottom of the table this year. Yeah, I think yeah, definitely one of the surprise packages on a, on a sort of negative front. I think they had, they had some, some glimpses of real quality in the, in the previous campaign, last year's campaign. I thought they had um, some moments where they gave some of the bigger clubs a real scare. Yeah, um, you know they got players with quality. You know, people who've been around the league for a long time. People like Hamid. People like Aaron El Teacher, for example. Yeah, yeah, they've got players with some quality. So, um, you know, I think like you said, Dan Padano will have a look at that and, and and try to find the right formula. You know, he's been successful in, in other clubs that he's been at. So, um, hopefully, he'll, he'll, he'll find a solution. But I think with this condensed season, I think it's very easy to gain momentum. Uh, if you're flying, but yeah. if you lose a couple of games, that can embed itself within the morale of the team very, very quickly. So let's see what happens because, yeah, they've got some games where on, on paper they might think that that'd be, they'd be winnable. But I think, um, you know, we talk about surprise packages on the negative front, but for me, ADT mm. um, have been the surprise package in terms of the absolute quality that they've, they've dis displayed in, in their opening games. I mean, like I said, they just, I mean, look, Scott's very well organized just in terms of how he constructs his teams. Um, they seem to have a very um, familiar understanding with one another, which is rare for a group that's been pulled together at, at the last minute. Okay, they were training earlier on in the year, but that team was pretty much dismantled. Whilst, um, you know, some of the more high profile names that they had acquired have gone back to Europe or gone back to other places across the globe. And now you're left with quite a, a a group of homegrown players or players who applied their trade here, grown up here, maybe gone abroad, come back, and they look formidable. They all look like they're playing off the same um, song sheet. You know, I think they have a 3-4-3 setup that they've deployed as, as paid dividends. I think they cover the spaces really, really well. And I think had they not have got caught out on that long Aldi Menzi ball in the, in the Kai game, I think that feasibly could have been... Um, that feasibly could have been a draw that game because I think they're just so hard to break down. Mm. Had they have got that draw, again, you know, although they're not a team that could potentially qualify for the AFC competition, but I think they could have been a top three finish. Yeah. I think they could be a top three finish. Still. Yeah, um, definitely. But I think that would have put them really in the driving seat to, to try and potentially uh, either, either come in that, that third or even, even that second place had yeah. they got that draw. Now, obviously, with the condensed season, it's been very difficult for them to just accumulate enough points. But... Man, they, I think they've been really, really well organized, cohesive in possession, hard to break down. Um, and I think if you gave that group a bit more time and added a little bit of extra quality in there, 
I think they've got a makings of a really, really strong team and, and hopefully will be a group that can stay around this, this competition for, for years to come because I think it's proven to be a really successful endeavour and, uh, and hopefully will give the exposure to the players who are up and coming in this country um, to, to play against the likes of Stefan Strock, uh, Bienvenue Marignon, you know, the, these types of players who are obviously at the, the absolute pinnacle of Southeast Asian football. Uh, it's what an introduction, right, for ADT into the league. Okay, here's a great platform for you guys to test yourselves against high caliber competition. Here are your first two games United City FC, Kaya FC, Luilo. Go on now, enjoy yourselves, boys. Good luck. <laughs> right? Good luck. And they asserted themselves beautifully well, right? 1 0 defeats on both games, perfectly respectable results. And more importantly, the performances were very, very good. Uh, you saw how frustrated Manny Ott got lashed out in that first game that means a lot a person of that quality being frustrated in a match like that means you guys are doing some good things right mm -hmm. christian rontini in particular really letting people know that he's there in midfield all the time uh kai fc Ilo, another tough challenge for them but the question mark that has been hanging over them has been where are you going to find the goals right and they they struggle to answer that question as well in the match that they did win against mendiola but they did get their goals. And they got it from a source which has been, uh, you know, the, the subject of plenty of debate, right? Yeah. What is Harvey Gayoso's best position? Well, he started as left back in that game. And as the game ensued, eventually he found his way onto the striker position. Dean Ibarla taking the left back spot. And those two individuals combined for the first goal. Dina Barley with the cross, Harvey Goyosa with the glancing header, and then internet explodes, right? Everybody is like, told you Harvey Goyosa should have been a striker from the get-go. He should always be leading the attack, blah, blah, blah. Everybody has come out of the woodwork having their say on what Harvey Goyosa's best position is. And his goal, of course, fueling, um, pouring some gasoline on that subject. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's ASCAL's development team, right? So the purpose of this group is to develop individual players. It's not even necessarily the team. I think we, even when Scott was on, on, on the episode with us, he was very clear about that. It's about development of individual players to hopefully move on to the full national team, move abroad, move to another club domestically who I think can further their career, right? Harvey, for me, is someone who's excelled at the collegiate level. Absolutely no question about that. His goals return is, is unquestioned. I mean, we, when we had him on the show, we discussed that. And, and you know, not amount of golden boots that he's won, et cetera, et cetera. Great. But in order to make that step up as a forward, we look at the players that he would potentially be competing with, you know, on, on the international stage. I mean, if you look, if Patrick Reichel, he'd be competing with, he'd be competing with a Stefan Schrock. You know, these types of players, they're not going to give up their slot easily. You know, has he got the quality of, of those types of players? Maybe time will tell. Maybe time will tell, but he's not a young kid anymore, right? So I think in order for him to maximise the potential for him to go and play abroad or to maximise his development, because I'm going to be quite frank here, Jing, he hasn't had much opportunity to develop at the collegiate game because it's been an absolute stroll for him even in the podcast that he had with us he talked about the fact that there were games where he looked bored and he openly admitted that he said that there were games where I'm bored because it's too easy he needs the challenge 
So being given that challenge, and in fairness to him, he's kept his head down. If he had any other injuries he's had, he loves the challenge. I want to add a string to my bow because feasibly, I don't think he is going to end up being, you know, a centre forward at the pinnacle of Southeast Asian football. I don't see that, Jane. I don't see that. Maybe he might be a left winger, might be a left midfielder, might be a wing back. But in order to, to maximise his potential, I've got no issues with Scott trying him at different, uh, another position where he can utilise some of the attributes that he's got. And if he comes out of it with, hey, you know, yep, I've, I've been traditionally a forward, but I can also play left back, I can play left wing. It just gives him the opportunity to develop his game. You know, look at Ashley Cole, for example. Not many people know this, but he was a forward growing up. Moved mm. back into left wing. He was a left winger in the youth team at Arsenal. And when the opportunity came to play in the first team, they deployed him as a, as a left back. Trent Alexander-Arnold, do you think that he was always a right back? No. He's an attack-minded player pretty much his entire career. But as he grew older and as his skill set changed and his game developed, Jurgen Klopp utilised him as an attacking right-back. And the game's changed now, Jing. It's the the modern-day right-back, left-back is extremely forward-thinking. Yeah. Right? So you've, you've had this migration from wide players being the guys who hug the touch line and are getting the ball and facing up their opponent and going at them 1v1. But now those wide guys are operating more in half spaces, coming more inside, either operating within the pockets or between a left-sided centre-back and a, and, a, and a left back. So they're playing more infield. The guys that were on wide, the guys that operate on the outside, traditionally now, are guys with Harvey's skill set. Yeah. Quick, good in 1v1 situations. Good engine, physically dominant, can get up and down the line. These are things he can do. And how many other Filipino players can do that? And, now, and can deliver a ball, Chris. He can whip got, one in. He's got a wand of a left foot. So for all these people, you know, these, these are the people who would see Harvey right, as a kid, when I did, and they say, look, look at him playing up front. And how does Harvey score most of his goals as a kid? Long ball over the top. He sprints onto it because he's quicker than everyone else, takes a touch, smashes it in. He's been doing that since he was a young kid. I saw him doing that as a 14-year-old playing in the UFL Youth League. But he was doing it in high school. He was doing it in college. Yeah. You think you're going to be doing that against the top Southeast Asian nations? No, you're not. And because he's that, those developmental years have been lost on him, he needs to accelerate that now. So, yeah, I, I understand where people are coming from when they make that suggestion. Don't get me wrong, he, he was extremely successful in that role. But yeah. Why not give him an opportunity under a great coach in a developmental team to try to add another string to his bow to accentuate the skills that he's got and see if he can rise to that challenge and develop his game? That's the way I see it. And I think credit to him. He hasn't, he hasn't poured any fuel to that fire. Yeah. You know, he hasn't, yeah. he, he just got his head down and worked. And that's testament to his attitude, I think. And that's been, that's been a great side to see from Harvey. It's been rather entertaining just sitting back and watching people uh, spout what they feel as 100% fact. You know, like, he's scored a goal. Clearly, he should be a striker. It's like, mm, you know, maybe, maybe not. Um, people say, how could you call him overrated if clearly he's banging in goals? Well, you can score goals and still be, con- and still be overrated, you know? But Again, it's about rounding out his game, right? And if you're looking at individuals who might know a thing or two about what it takes to thrive in certain positions at a continental level, then you have the right individuals around him to see that. I mean, Coach Scott Cooper is one of those guys that knows exactly what to expect um, at the highest levels of Asian football. So 
um, you and I are in, in, in agreement that, um, you know, the multiple positions is good. We're seeing Kenshiro Daniels now playing in a more advanced position. He played left back, right back for so long. In fact, you could place Kenshiro Daniels anywhere on the pitch right now and he would perform for you. And that's testament to, you know, taking time and being placed in positions that would be somewhat unusual or uncomfortable for the time being. Right? I think probably but, the best comparison you can come up with is Kenny. Yeah. You know? and, and he's had probably 25 caps already, I would say. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a great example. Someone who um, came into the game young, played multiple different positions because he actually had more physical deficiencies. So he couldn't play striker, which is, he played as a kid, but perhaps mm. a bit too slight. It's taken him time to grow into his body. But in that time, worked hard at his game, played in other positions. And, and you know, I think that's, that's added to his game. And I think, again, he's, he's proven his worth as a striker now, but only because he's, he's, he's had all that time to, um, you know, acquire knowledge from playing in different positions and, and developing holistically his, his all-round game. So, um, yeah, I think it's very easy to say, oh, you know, I told you so. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I guess that's the beauty of, of, of the, the Philippine football public and football in general, right? Everyone has an opinion. And here's the interesting thing. Everybody has an opinion on Harvey. Nobody has an opinion on Matthew Custodio, who is not a centre-back, but has been placed as a centre-back and has been thriving in that position. He looks phenomenal as a centre-back. Yeah, I remember as a kid, I would always play him centre-back. I always looked at him and, you know, I think, again, probably someone who has a phys his physicality meant that he played in more advanced positions. But you know, I think he's got, he's got all the attributes to be a top-class centre-back, if that's what he, you know, if, if he wants to be, if that's what he wants to do, if he wants to play at the highest level. I think he's got all of those attributes to, um, to be a top-level top centre-back. So, no, I think he's done well. Obviously, scored his goal um, yeah. the, the other day. So, um, you know, he's a genuine threat. And I think there's a lot of players who, who have come under that moniker, you know, of just, is that his position? No, maybe not naturally, but let's give him a go there. Let's see how he gets on. Let's see how he fares. And I think there's a lot of players who are blossoming, blossoming under, under Scott's tutelage. So um, I'm actually really excited to see how that group develops. Because like I said, I think they, they could feasibly finish in the top half of the table, which I think will be massive, massive success for that group. Sea Games in 2021, that is the main focus for this side. Again, they're an ASCO's development team preparing for tournaments of their own, right? This is not the end-all and be-all for them. This is a, sort of their preparatory phase, and um, it's exciting. You know, I think everybody supports their club, but also has an eye on the ADT, right? Or if you don't have a club, then that is your main entity mm -hmm. that you're following right now, and that's a beautiful thing to have. And it would be great to see them in a full season with a full lineup of, of clubs, right? We've had an opportunity, I think, uh, to talk about Mendiola already and Stallion peripherally because of the matches that we've already spoken about. Now, here's something interesting, right? You have a condensed season this year and you see the excitement that has grown around it and the consistent sort of trying to figure out ways to engage the fans. And it's, it's been fun to see, you know, to extrapolate that into next year, right? Already having an eye into next year and rumblings of new clubs or former clubs coming back into the picture, former owners coming back into the Philippine football community, perhaps eight teams, nine teams, um, even a, a shot at 10 teams for next year. Then all of a sudden from the doom and gloom of January, February, March, oh my God, there's no football this year too. Oh my God, 2021 has a lot of potential, Chris. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping that this has sparked the interest. I'm really actually, for me, 
this could be the biggest thing that comes out of this competition, not just necessarily what happens in this next two weeks or this, this condensed season. It's more that sort of ignition of uh, interest from former clubs, uh, potential owners, sponsors, etc., because they can see, wow, like if they can come up with a product like this, given the resources, given the time frame, given all of the obstacles they've had to overcome, then what could they do with a, with a helping hand? And mm. what can they do with an increased budget? What can they do with, um, you know, more exposure? And I think that's, that's something that we really hope. We would love to see some more teams get back into the mix, you know. Oh, you know, where's the next Davao Aguilas? You know, where's the Loyola Moralcos? Yeah, we need these clubs. They, 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 they belong in, 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 in the domestic game, absolutely. So, no, I think you're spot on with that, mate. I think it, it's, it's great to see. It's great to see that the, the league is, is alive and well, but hopefully this will be the, the platform, the springboard for other people to want to get back involved in, in the, the, the local football scene. And like you said, if we can get back to that stage where it's eight teams, 10 teams, where it's competitive. I mean, Mendia, um, Mendia, sorry, Mahalika have already demonstrated that it's possible with a short yeah. period of time on a relatively low budget to put a group together and be, I want to say semi-competitive. You know, the blowout yesterday has, has, has changed it from being very competitive. But, um, you know, props to them for... for doing it on short notice and, and having the humility as well to what, although they got, they got a shellac in yesterday to, to be humble and, and be like, look, we understand that, you know, that's, that's what you get when you come across the team of that caliber and um, they'll endeavor to improve. So yeah, definitely, definitely um, the spotlight is on the, on the division right now. Kokotori's done a great job, really, um, you know, huge props to him for putting this all together. And I'm hoping that it's going to be that, that beacon, that attraction for, for people to want to get involved down the road and, and have some remnant, some semblance of what we had, you know, a few years back you know, where it was that sort of 10 team league, two divisions, promotion relegation. We'd love to see that again. Yep. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about it a little bit in, in previous episodes where some of the, some of the you know, the, the downturns of Philippine football, they're not necessarily just bad. I mean, obviously during the period it was, unfortunate that it happened but there's always something to take away from it it's always a little bit of learning and we're starting to see that being implemented now you know it's not less people talking about what they want to see and more implementing what uh, we have been talking about you know and these are the people now who have to put their money where their mouth is you know they, they have to now step or walk the path that they spoke so highly about and so loudly about and we're getting a chance to see that. And I think you touched it perfectly with regards to 2021. You're looking at this from the outside in. You're thinking, man, these guys, first of all, have some balls to operate under these circumstances. And then they showed the competency to pull it off, right? That's something enough for you to think, okay, if I'm going to put my money here in this industry, it's worth it. It's worth it because they're not going to waste my, my money. And they're going to make the most of it, given that they did so great with a tiny budget. So, yeah. Very exciting times. And what I'm loving to see as well is the storylines is not just about the championships, right? It's about every spot. It's about every team. And that's the way it's got to be. You know, it's like F1, for example. F1, they have storylines for who, who finishes seventh or who finishes eighth. And that's the way it's got to be. You know, every game has to have its own storyline and you got to get on board with it. And it's not just about championships and AFC Cups and all of this. So it's been refreshing man you know after seven months on the sidelines me as well you know being able to commentate football again being in and around the games i've spent two days where i've been just in carmona the whole day i was at 7 30 or 8 o'clock i left at 11 o'clock at night you know it's it's tiring and and whatnot but 
great to be around everybody again, out of the house, talking to football people, talking football, you know, and, and seeing the games live and spectacular stuff. And um, long may it continue, you know, it, it's, it's, it's been really fun. And as we mentioned, still got a couple exciting games to go as well. So uh, we appreciate everybody who's been uh, very excited about the PFL. Whenever we speak about it on this podcast, we, we, we get an upturn in uh, the, our viewers and listeners. It means people care, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we hope that it continues. And like I said, it's been a great first couple of weeks. And I think there's been some interesting storylines, but you know, I think the final chapter will be really interesting to see how it unfolds. You know, we've got some bottom of the table clashes. We've got some mid-table games, which on paper you would think, oh, it doesn't mean anything, but they've got so much riding on it. And then obviously, you know, we're all looking forward to this convergence of the two big guns, um, you know, going at it head to head. Like you said, I think, although it was disappointing for kind not to get the win, uh, against Stallions with how UCFC are playing and the, the plus 17 goal difference, maybe ultimately it won't make um, that much of a difference. So, yeah, all roads lead to um, to the final day of the season with those two. So, yeah, really looking forward to that because I think that is going to be one mammoth game and I think everyone's going to be tuned in and excited to see who nabs that, uh, that Champions League spot. And make sure you guys are subscribed to the Philippines Football League YouTube channel on Facebook. The games are out live. If you subscribe to it, you'll get a notification that the games are live so you won't miss a thing. Next match is on Friday, and then they have matches again on Monday the following. That should be a massive, massive day for football. So there you have it. A little bit of a review and a bit of a preview of what's to come in the 2020 PFL season. If you enjoyed this one, please do subscribe to our YouTube on Across the Line. We're also on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. And uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. That is it for Chris Greatwich and myself. We hope to uh, catch you next time on the next Football Friday. Thank you. <laughs>